says, but in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And Father, we ask as we just turn toward you now to open the word of God that our worship could just continue in this time that we spend in the word of God as we've prayed and sang. Lord, we want to have a heart of worship towards you that that just gives you the attention that you rightly deserve, that you might speak to us things that, Lord, we often need to hear in our lives through the Word of God. So use the truth of your Word, Lord. Just catheterize our hearts this morning and speak to us. Give us light and understanding and give us instruction for how we might live in a way that's more pleasing to you. So bless your Word. We ask that your Spirit now teach us by the power and presence of his ministry among us. In Jesus' wonderful name, and everyone said, Amen, Amen. You may be seated. <coughs> now, even as it's true that uh, we can either spend money uh, or use money, which is honestly two different things, I think that same thing can be true of our lives. We can spend our lives sort of just randomly here on this earth, or we can use our lives in a way that's intentional and really purposeful. And I would ask this morning, uh, in the way that you're living right now, would you say that you're kind of just spending your life randomly, the way that we all kind of spend lives just in a natural way, or are you really using your life in a way that's very intentional? And perhaps it's a good question to ask as well. Would you say that your life is therefore usable to the Lord? Is your life usable to the Lord? And if not, would you like for your life maybe to be a little bit more usable for the Lord and usable to the Lord? Well, the remaining section of chapter 2, what we'll look at this week and next week as well, I think really addresses for us how to be useful for our master, how to be useful for our Lord. In the Bible, the church or what we call the family of God uh, made up of servants of Jesus Christ is often portrayed with this analogy or this metaphor of sort of being a spiritual household. And the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, is the master of the house. Uh, you and I are his servants and we're therefore used by the master to accomplish his purposes. And it's with that analogy in mind now that Paul kind of gives this next exhortation this next exhortation regarding kind of challenging us to maintain our lives in such a way that we are he's going to say usable vessels usable vessels for the lord's purposes that we could be good servants for the master's use look with me in verse 20 as he begins to address this idea now he says there but in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. So he's, he's painting a picture here that in this great or wealthy house, 
There are many different kinds of vessels that are used in a, a grand house or a palace. He says different vessels for different purposes. He says there that there are some gold and silver vessels. And of course, those would be the vessels of great value and they're more rare in the house. And then there are also, he says, vessels of wood and clay. Now, those would be more common vessels and vessels really that are having less value. And we'll talk a little bit more about the distinction between those two as we go on. So we can picture here, you have gold and silver vessels. And he says, verse 20, those would be the vessels that are used for honor. Or you might say maybe more honorable purposes. If you have gold and silver vessels made of these precious metals, uh, they're going to be used for sort of honorable functions. Maybe it might be a gold or a silver cup that the king or the master of the house uses. Maybe there are gold and silver plates, if you would, or utensils that are used for special meals or important functions that take place. I think every family sometimes maybe has, you know, you know, certainly there's maybe special dishes. They only get seen once or twice a year. And if they come out any other time, it's like a crime in the house because the, you, know, you can tell kind of, you know, there are those dishes. And if those dishes come out, then whoever's visiting must be special or it's a special occasion. And this is kind of the idea here. Maybe there were gold pitchers and silver bowls for special capacities or maybe vases or decorations made of gold and silver to give glory to the house. And then he says as well, in a great house, there are also going to be, verse 20, he says, vessels of wood and clay. And he says here in the verse that those typically would be the vessels, the wood and clay vessels that are used for things that are more dishonorable. The idea there is just simply more common everyday routine functions. These are the vessels that were utilized for purposes that were maybe a little bit less honorable and in some ways kind of dishonorable. We might say more the lowly or even some ways gross practices that happen every household as well. So you might have wood or clay vessels that were used for just the functions of the kitchen for cooking or storage purposes, maybe a wood or clay basin that you use for washing the dishes or, or washing filthy clothes or maybe the mop bucket uh, that was made of wood. Uh, certainly there would also be wood and clay containers used uh, maybe for a garbage bin. Uh, or again, keep in mind in that day, in the ancient culture, there wasn't nice plumbing like we have nowadays. So uh, in the evenings, there were wooden clay vessels used for people to relieve themselves. So all types of different ways a wooden clay vessel could be used, holding some dirt, maybe even the, the vomit bucket when somebody was sick. These were the, the vessels, the wooden clay ones that had more dishonorable use. But the thing I think to really grasp the main point here that we want to take note of is what is one of the main distinctions beyond value itself? What is one of the main distinctions between the gold and silver vessels and the wood and clay vessels in the house? And I would say it would be this. First of all, their durability. That is how they hold up under their use and tied together with that, that their duration of usefulness. That is how long they are able to continue to remain useful and be utilized. Uh, this, I think, is important because gold and silver vessels understand the gold and silver vessels. They were the long term vessels. They were rarely ever replaced. They had a permanent usefulness. The wood and clay vessels, in contrast, these were short term temporary vessels in their usefulness. 
They were easily chipped or cracked or they would be defiled by how they were used. So they, a lot of times wooden clay vessels were discarded and they had to be replaced. Now, to me, I believe that is really the main point that God is trying to convey here in this passage as he illustrates this idea of us being vessels that are used by him for his purposes, that we would seek to be like those long-term valuable vessels of gold and silver that remain useful to the Lord for a long period of time. That we would remain useful because really that is what gives us the most value in our service to the master. That we remain usable for him. I don't think personally myself that the Lord here is trying to convey in this illustration that some of his servants, well, they hold gold and silver status because of what they do in their function and because of what they do in their very important role or their specific ministry or function or how God uses them, they kind of have gold or silver status. And then, you know, there are these others who, you know, they only have wood status uh, because their function is maybe inferior or, or less in some way. So they only kind of have a wood status in the usefulness. You know, unlike the worldly mindset or how secular business functions or maybe uh, has their perception of things uh, where maybe certain people typically you know in the business world they're deemed as more important because of the position they hold or, or they're somehow viewed as uh, more special or valuable because of their function in the company or their position look god sees all people equal God sees everyone as valuable. He sees every servant as special. He doesn't value his servants according to what their role is or how they're used by him or what their particular function is. God is never looking and saying, well, what this person is used for me to do, I mean, that makes them a gold star servant. But what, what these people do, I mean, I mean, that's just kind of like wood status there. I mean, they're just like, they're kind of on a lower level. They kind of have the, you know, the, the clay emblem, but that's about it. But certainly nothing like my gold and silver status servants. God doesn't value people based upon our function. What matters to God is our usability period, that we would be useful to him and usable by him. In fact, as he gives the personal application in the next verse to the illustration in verse 20, the next verse, he's going to imply that anyone can be a vessel of honor and that we should aspire towards, he's going to say, being that vessel of honor, that is that long-term vessel that remains usable for God in what we do for him, that we would be like those gold and silver vessels that have great value because they remain useful. And they stay useful long term rather than becoming defiled vessels that are limited in our usefulness or maybe where we ultimately become unusable to the Lord in his purposes. Now, having given that vessel illustration, he now makes the application in a personal way for our lives as we go into verse 21. He says, therefore, in light of that analogy, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Now, the point here is that we, as God's people, have a personal responsibility before the Lord to present ourselves to the master of the house as a vessel of honor for his purposes, 
for his uses. He begins by saying there in verse 21, notice, if anyone, again, this is the point, if anyone, implying here that this is something that's available and is an opportunity for all believers to be a vessel of honor. If anyone, he says, cleanses himself, he will be a vessel of honor. Again, the Bible uses this metaphor at times of our human lives being like a vessel for the Lord, a, a vessel whereby God may fill us with his spirit's presence, a vessel where God can fill us with his power and with his love, a vessel that God can use for his specific purposes to accomplish his functions and desires on this earth. Acts chapter 9, when uh, Jesus was speaking of Paul the Apostle being used as his instrument. It tells us that he said of Paul, he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. So again, speaking of Paul's usefulness, Jesus said he's a chosen vessel of mine. Again, we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, speaking of how each Christian's body is like an earthly vessel that God deposits the treasure of the things like the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of his spirit and seeks to work through us. 2 Corinthians 4 says this in verses 7 through 10, that we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. So again, the Bible portrays our lives like earthen vessels that the Lord pours his spirit into, that Jesus manifests his power through and the gospel is contained within. And he says, because of that, these earthen vessels, they're weak. And he clearly displays there that most of all of our vessels are fractured and they have cracks and they have chips and damage and they've been put through pressure. And he says, but yet he says, though we're hard pressed on every side, we're not crushed, we're not destroyed. And he says, we're perplexed, but we're not forsaken. We've been struck down, but we're not destroyed. The idea is, in some ways, it's, it's the things that we experience in this life, the hardships, the challenges, the difficulties, that kind of like a, a vessel that's been strongly used, that may have cracks and flaws in it, that, that the light's actually able to shine through us to a greater degree. And that as we experience the sufferings of Christ, the daily dying to ourself as we're being put to death by this world, the Bible says that's how the life of Christ ends up being manifested the most through us. Because he says the excellence of all this thing, he says is that the power may be of God and not of us. That we realize ourselves that we have nothing to bring to the table but our availability of saying, here am I, Lord. And people realize there is nothing about that person that is special except Jesus. I mean, they're a true crackpot to the fullest degree. I mean, that's what they are. But yet the life of Jesus is seen through them and, and the power of the Lord and his light shines through our lives. And every Christian, really, the Bible says our vessel doesn't even belong to us, our life anymore. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6 that we're not our own. We were bought with a price, that our body is just now the temple of the Holy Spirit here on this earth. 
And that God wants to work through my life and your life as an instrument and a vessel. The question becomes simply this, what kind of vessel are we to the Lord? We are a vessel and we are a vessel that belongs to him. But what kind of a vessel are we unto the Lord? Are we a vessel for the Lord like he desires, like those gold and silver vessels that are vessels of honor that remain useful long term to him? And that's directly dependent upon our personal stewardship over our lives because that's what he's saying in verse 21. If anyone cleanses himself, he then will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, useful, prepared for every good work. So notice the first thing he says regarding being a vessel of honor, the first thing he makes mention of to contribute to that in verse 21 is he says, if anyone cleanses himself, Again, the idea here is a, is a self-cleansing that we're responsible for through things like confession and repentance, whereby we consciously seek to rid ourselves of defiling and sinful things and keep ourselves clean and pure and usable to the Lord. Now, that happens, of course. Initially, there must be a cleansing as we consciously realize that we need to be cleansed by the Lord in salvation. So this begins with the initial experience of salvation because it's in the salvation experience that the Lord Jesus cleanses us from all sin in our life and makes us before the presence of God judicially clean and pure and rid of our sin and every defiling thing in our life. The Bible tells us in the Gospel of, of John that John said regarding Jesus, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It tells us as well in 1 John 1 that it's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. Revelation 1 tells us that Jesus washed us from our sin in his own blood. So there is this need initially where we at a time in our life first humbly admit that we are sinful. That as a human being with a vessel on this earth to live out our life in this physical body, that we realize that our life, our vessel is defiled before God and that we are dirty in the presence of our creator, that we have contributed by our own sins and mistakes and made ourselves dirty in the standard of God's eyes. And we must believe that Jesus and his work of dying upon the cross for our sins and raising from the dead is the work that was necessary to provide the solution to our spiritual need. And it's as we receive Jesus and his salvation for ourselves, and we ask him to forgive us, to cleanse us from our sin by the power of his blood that was shed. It's at that moment of conversion, the Bible says Jesus takes away all of our sin and he washes us in his blood and he cleanses us and makes us clean and acceptable. We become a brand new clean person. That's when we first become a usable vessel to the Lord because now we are able to be used by him as a clean and prepared vessel that belongs to him. But then there's also this ongoing process where we need personal cleansing periodically even as we live out our lives as a Christian because you know as well as I do that after you got saved as a Christian, you still struggle with your sinful nature inside that still desires at times to do what's wrong. And you have to live in this world that's sinful and there are many defiling influences that can contaminate us as we journey through this world. And so with those things working against us, there are times when sin kind of begins to stain and defile 
our practical living or our lifestyle. And, and there's this ongoing process in the life of the Christian of sort of self-examination when we need to recognize perhaps in some way that we've become a bit defiled from the things of the world or our own sinful participation in something, thought, word, or deed. And we kind of come to that place where being convicted of that, we realize, Lord, I, I, I need you to, to help me. And, and we have to confess and admit, Lord, I'm in error in this way or I've made this mistake or I've kind of defiled myself by what I've done. So Lord, I just ask, would you help me to rid myself of this? And there's this need, as he speaks of here in verse 21, where, in a sense, we must cleanse ourselves before the Lord, where we must seek to sort of rid from our lives by making a decision to repent or turn away and kind of rid ourselves from what displeases God, cleansing ourselves from whatever is dishonorable or defiling. This is what 1 John 1.9 is all about for us as the Christian because it says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we must be willing, knowing what Jesus did is sufficient, to at times confess. Homilageo means to say the same thing, to just agree. No excuses. No, no justifications, just ownership. Lord, what I've done is wrong or what I've been doing or this practice or habit. Lord, it's, it's been defiling me as, as your child. And the wonderful thing is that if we confess our sins, it says he's always faithful and he has a just basis to not only forgive us, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to forgive us and to cleanse our vessel again. But it tells us in 2 Corinthians 7.1, we have a responsibility. It says, therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So we have to at times, as he says here, cleanse ourselves to rid ourselves from anything that's whether in the flesh or in our spirit that's defiling to the Lord and receive his cleansing for ourselves. Now that's important not just to remain in good fellowship and relationship with the Lord, but what the Bible's teaching in this section is that's also important to be a vessel of honor so that we can be useful to the Lord and that we can offer to the Lord a life that's useful, that remains useful for him. And for application this morning, I would say this. First of all, perhaps you're here today and you're not yet a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. And maybe you, like myself and many others up to this point, have been using your life how you wish. And you've been using and spending your life however you want. As the result of that reality, you've kind of been defiling yourself. And you've been ruining your life rather than helping your life. Today, look, Jesus is offering you an opportunity to be made clean, to have a clean start, to have a new beginning, to experience what he wants for you. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 that if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away and all things become new. And despite how you've used your life or spent your life today, if you give your life to Jesus, he'll take that life and he'll transform it. And he'll cleanse it and give you a brand new life and a brand new start. And your life can be used in a way that's meaningful. And you can actually have purpose for your life as you let your life be useful to the Lord. Perhaps today as well, maybe you're here as a Christian, as a believer, and maybe you become a little bit defiled. And the Spirit of God has prompted you and made you aware of that reality that maybe you've been stained by some sin you've been participating in or maybe went back to. 
and you find yourself in a place where you know that you're sort of defiled before the Lord, well, today maybe the Lord is calling you to clean things up a bit. And maybe the Lord is saying, today's the day we need to get that cleaned up. And listen, it's not complicated what you need to do if that's you this morning. It's just hard. Because usually doing the right thing is not complicated. It's not rocket science. It's just hard. Because it perhaps is going to take humility and faith and a willingness to maybe let go of something that's defiling in your life. And the wonderful thing is, but if you're willing to do that, Jesus will help. Jesus will cleanse and Jesus will give you the power and Jesus can even heal and even restore you in time to a place of fruitfulness and usefulness. For others of us, perhaps this is just a reminder for us that we need to keep our lives under constant evaluation and be quick to rid ourselves from any defiling influence and to know there must be this ongoing sort of cleansing of ourself to, to remain usable and be a usable vessel for the Lord. Well, further describing what it means to be that vessel of honor and how we can aspire towards that, he says there in verse 21, three things specifically that to God, to be a vessel for honor, he says, verse 21, is to be sanctified and useful for the master and prepared for every good work. So the first thing he says to work towards being a vessel of honor is being sanctified. And that term there, being sanctified, means to be set apart for special use. It's the same word that's translated many times in the Bible, holiness. But really, that's what holiness is. It means to be set apart, to be exclusive. God is holy because God's set apart. Nothing and no one is like God. There's God and there's everything else. God's holy. He's set apart. And this is the idea here of when the Bible says that we're to be sanctified, it means to be set apart for exclusive use. It speaks of being dedicated for a special purpose or function. And that this is what God desires of our lives, that our lives would be set apart, sanctified unto him, that our life would be set apart for God's exclusive use, that your life would be dedicated for the special purpose of using it for God's glory. And perhaps today you are saved and you're heading to heaven and everything's settled, but maybe a good question to ask is how dedicated, however, are you to the lordship of Jesus ruling over your life? Certainly it's good to be saved and have your sins forgiven and know that you're going to heaven. That's important. But it is just as important to ask yourself what level of dedication exists in your life regarding the lordship of Jesus Christ over your life. Maybe you know him as Savior, but are you honestly serving him as Lord? This is important. This is ultimately God's ideal for our life. Perhaps today the Lord is calling some of us to make a decision. Maybe he's calling you to dedicate yourself, to set your life apart for the Lord in the way that God intends for you to be ultimately. That today, perhaps you'd say, Lord, I'm making a decision today to be set apart for you. That my life would be sanctified and set apart and dedicated for your purposes that I wouldn't spend my life how I want to spend my life, but that I would use my life by letting my life be useful for you as my master and what you want. If we want to be a vessel for honor for God's purposes, it may take maybe separating ourselves from certain things in the world to be set apart for the things of the Lord. It may take separating ourselves from living in a different way and, and not being able to live the pattern that everybody else in the world lives. 
but living a lifestyle that's different. And as a Christian, we want to view ourselves, listen, biblically. And by that, I mean this. We belong to Jesus. We belong to Jesus. It's not a, Lord, should I serve you? Do I want to serve you? Biblically, you belong to Jesus. The Bible says your life is not your own. You were bought with a price, which means that we're supposed to really just be fulfilling our identity, which is we're supposed to be set apart for his exclusive use and say, Lord, the rest of my life to my dying breath, it belongs to you. It's to be dedicated for your purposes. This, he says, is a great part of being a vessel for honor. He also says, not only sanctified, but secondly, that we're also to be there in verse 21, useful, he says, for the master. Useful for the master. The word useful speaks of being helpful, of benefit in fulfilling a purpose. You know, if you're somebody who is mechanical or likes to work with tools in some way, I guess even not outside of that, just in general, if you're working on a project, sometimes we say something like, this tool is really useful for what I'm trying to do here, right? And we know what that means. This tool, boy, this tool is really useful for what I'm trying to do. Well, this is the same idea spiritually. Jesus, who is our master, is always trying to do things on the earth. He's trying to advance the kingdom of God. He's trying to build the church. He's trying to do things uh, that would be helpful. He's trying to serve people. He's trying to do good on this earth and serve problems. And the question, therefore, to ask ourselves is, is my life a useful tool for the master? Because the master is trying to do things. He's trying to fix problems. He's trying to help people. He's trying to accomplish things. And he's looking for tools. He's looking for instruments. So the question to ask is, is your life a useful vessel and instrument for the Lord? When it comes to the work of the Lord and what he's trying to do, is how you're living right now, is what you're doing currently, or even how you are serving, a hindrance to the Lord? or a help to the Lord? Are you useful to the Lord or are you somewhat useless for the Lord? This is an important question because this is really the crux of what he's trying to say. A valuable vessel for the Lord would be a vessel of honor is someone who makes themselves useful for the master. You know, I encourage you, the longer I've walked with the Lord and the longer that I've been in ministry specifically, I find myself praying much differently than I did when I was a younger Christian. I find myself now just saying, Lord, however I can be most usable for you. Lord, what, however I will be most useful to you, use me in that way. So Lord, that means if you want to shut something down in my life or change something in my life or use me in a different way, Lord, if you want to change me from being a, a hammer to a can opener, whatever you want, Lord. Just however you want it. How can I be most useful to you? Because ultimately, that's what we're going to be the most fulfilled in doing anyway. And we want our life to be that vessel that the Lord can use. So again, I encourage you, ask yourself, you know, as you pray, perhaps, how could you make yourself most useful to the Lord? How could you make your life more useful to Jesus? And to pray and perhaps even ask the Lord, Lord, how can I be of greatest help to you? How can it be of greatest benefit to you? How can I just be useful for you as my master? You know, sadly, sadly, some have at times in their life been very yielded 
and dedicated to Jesus and the Lord was using them in a wonderful way. And then something interferes with that. And something kind of gets in the way and starts to hinder or defiles. And a life that was once set apart and being used wonderfully by Jesus, fulfilling his purposes, is now being spent perhaps just pursuing worldly things instead. And being spent in ways that really aren't mattering much for the kingdom of God. A person that was once useful, now they're perhaps somewhat useless to the Lord. And we're going to see in chapter 4 of this book a man named Demas who Paul says he forsook me having loved this present world. And Demas is a picture of a man who at one time was serving and being used by the Lord and yet somehow the entanglements of the world caused him really for his duration of usefulness to just come to an end and he was no longer useful to the Lord anymore. And may the Lord help us as his servants to guard against that mistake of letting anything interfere or hinder us in our lives where we would no longer be useful to the Lord. The third thing he says in verse 21 regarding being that vessel of honor, not only sanctified and useful, but he then says, verse 21, prepared for every good work. That is, if we live set apart and useful for the Lord, then we'll be prepared for every good work that he wants to do through our lives. The word prepared means to be ready or available. It also speaks of being properly equipped. And this is what we're to be. We're to be ready for the Lord to use us. We're to be available to the Lord. We're to, to seek to be as equipped and trained and prepared as possible for him. The reason, he says, is there are good works for us to do. Paul says in Ephesians 2.10 that a part of our salvation is that God didn't just save you or bring you to heaven, but he also saved you because he has good works prepared in advance for us to do on this earth. That God specifically saved you, he's saving people, but he specifically saved you not just to bring you to heaven, but he also had specific intentions in mind. If I save her, wow, there's a few good things I could really do through her life. If I save him, there are some really good works that I could use him for with his gifts and talents and personality. And, 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 and God says, I know them and I could really do some good things through his life. And there are good works for us to do. And yet we have a responsibility here before God to do our best to be prepared for every good work. To do our best in stewardship to keep our lives prepared for the Lord. Preparation does have its place of spiritual importance in the life of the Lord's servants. That we would seek, honestly, to be prepared spiritually, that is, in the condition of our soul, in the condition of our heart and mind, and even we can prepare practically through perhaps good training or ways whereby we're better equipped for the activity, like a soldier and you know, getting trained before they step into battle. In fact, Ephesians chapter 4 tells us that even being in attendance at church gatherings is one of the main ways, as we gather consistently, that we are prepared and equipped for the Lord's purposes. Because Ephesians chapter 4 tells us that God has given pastors and teachers, it says... Not for the evangelization of the world. Ephesians 4 says God's given pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the works of ministry. 
that the church's predominant function certainly is to worship Jesus, but it also is a time for the Christians to gather, to be equipped and strengthened and built up and matured and equipped that they're healthy, strong servants of Jesus to go out and do ministry in their world where the Lord is sending us out to serve. So let us do our part in good stewardship to be therefore as prepared as possible for every good work the Lord has for us to do. That we would seek in stewardship to be in right relationship with the Lord, avoiding what's sinful, doing what we can to be filled with the Spirit of the Lord, knowing the Word of God, spending time in prayer, maybe even doing something perhaps to get some training spiritually or just letting God prepare and train us through informal processes that we're just equipped and prepared and ready to do those works that God wants to do through our lives. Now, with that idea of being prepared and useful as a vessel in mind, Paul then in verse 22 shares again some practical insights how to further seek to remain a usable vessel for the Lord. And he says that's going to involve, verse 22, flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, and then he says with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So notice in verse 22 here, there is the importance of two things. First of all, escaping what is going to corrupt us spiritually, and then also pursuing after what would help cultivate our spiritual lives. First he talks about in the beginning of the verse, escaping what's going to corrupt us spiritually. We each have a need to escape what's going to corrupt our spiritual lives. That's why he says, verse 22, flee also youthful lusts. Now the word flee does not mean just avoid. It means to escape from what's pursuing you. It means to run away from what's chasing you down. And what do we need to run from and escape from? He says youthful lusts. That is those strong desires, cravings, and yearnings that are characterized by youthfulness in life. Now think with me. What are some of the dominant desires that characterize youthfulness? Well, it's things like a, a strong yearning for pleasure and power and position and possessions. You think of you know, just the youthfulness of that stage of life it's characterized by just I mean youthfulness is marked by things like a strong yearning for just seeking after pleasure life is a playground when you're young right and so life is about party and fun and, and, and doing everything you can to try every form of pleasure and enjoyment and recreation that exists because life's a playground and we're going to run out of time and so that's typically a mark of, of youthfulness, of immaturity. Youthfulness is also marked by things like just very strong passions and longing, strong bodily desires in that season of your life. It's marked by things like a strong lust and yearning after gaining approval and acceptance. You know, young people are driven by relationships and approval of others. Typically, youthfulness is also marked by just a strong desire for success and obtaining position and recognition and prosperity and you know we life's about more stuff and nicer stuff and newer stuff and these are the marks typically of of youthfulness and look though those characterizing marks are true of youthfulness you can be old 
and still have a lot of youthful lusts. And you can be old and never grow up from your youthful lusts. And so he says here, look, those are youthful lusts. They, they characterize youthfulness, but he says they never go away. So he says we need just need to flee those kind of things and escape. That is, we're to look at what characterized those younger years of our life and the Bible saying, but you got to grow up now. You got to escape that stuff. You know, as, as we mature, we got to learn contentment and self-control and how to be balanced, how to regulate our lives, live with some self-discipline, realize there are bigger and more important things to life and live with moderation because if youthful lusts are not escaped, if they're not escaped, they will do two things. First of all, they certainly will hinder us spiritually. And more than that, youthful lusts, if they're not fleet from, they, that's what ruins people's lives. Chasing success, never being able to get under control your sexual desires, pursuing prosperity and wealth and nice things and success and recognition and all, all those things that characterize youthfulness, that's what ruins people's lives in this world. If those things are not flee, Jesus said the cares of this life and deceitfulness of riches choke out spiritual life. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6 that the desire to be rich has drowned men and shipwrecked the faith of many people. Again, these are the things that can ruin and hinder our lives if we're not careful. So we have to flee those youthful lusts, but not only flee what will corrupt us, but also he speaks of pursuing after what would help cultivate our spiritual lives. He says in verse 22, as you're running from that, Pursue, chase after things like righteousness, faith, love, and peace. So run away from what's not good and use that same energy you're running away to run in the right direction. And chase after and pursue, he says, what's good. Instead of pursuing selfish, youthful longings, pursue what's helpful spiritually that will help you grow up in your relationship with the Lord. He mentions four things specifically. He says, consciously pursue righteousness. That is living right before God and living right towards man. Again, uh, youthfulness is typically marked by a propensity to want to live your own way. That's a mark of youthfulness. You want to live your own way in regards to your desires and your standards, but we're to pursue living in a way where we're not living according to fleshly desires anymore, where we're living instead in a righteous way, where we're seeking to pursue walking in the Spirit and obeying the Word of God as our standard. And saying, God, your word will dictate to me what's right or wrong. Not, it's my right to do what I want. It's not that's immature. Live righteous. Pursue righteous. Live in a way that you're living right according to the word of God. He also says there to pursue faith. That is, we're to seek to learn how to live trusting the Lord. Depending upon him. You know, typically, again, one of the marks of those less mature is they either tend to be either too self-sufficient or they are too dependent upon other people. That's usually a mark of immaturity. Somebody's very, very self-sufficient and won't receive help, they're going to do it on their own, and they're very self-sufficient. Or the other side of that, which is a mark of immaturity, is people are too dependent upon others, and they never grow up and take personal responsibility. And the Bible says, listen, neither of those good learn to pursue after a life of faith. Pursue faith. That means pray and depend upon the Lord. 
Don't depend upon yourself. Depend upon Jesus. Pray and look to Him. Don't depend upon others. You pray. Why? Well, listen. Well, then ask the Lord for it. Don't ask your mommy for it. Ask the Lord for it. Don't ask other people for it. Ask the Lord for it. Pursue faith. Pray. Trust God to work and come through in those situations. He also says we should not only pursue righteousness and faith, but he says pursue love. That is, seek to love the Lord more. Seek to just be a more loving person. Pursue being someone who, instead of acting childish and self-focused and self-serving, that you'd be like Jesus. Instead, be sacrificial and servant-hearted and doing those things to show love through practical demonstrations, making it your aim to be a more loving person. And he says as well that we should also pursue peace. And you have to pursue peace because peace doesn't come naturally unless you pursue it. And again, if we think of that in light of youthful lusts and youthfulness, youthfulness typically is not as characterized by a person being very idealistic, very opinionated when you're young, right? And very contentious as well. And yet what happens? As we mature, I hope, we should start to mellow out a little bit. And you start to mellow out and realize, you know, sometimes it's, you know, it's not always the way that I view it. Or, and, and you start to, to mellow out a little bit. And, and you start to pursue peace rather than having to be right all the time. And he says, so pursue these things. And notice he says, one of the best ways to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, he says, is together with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Together with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. The image there is being together with fellow believers who have a similar heart for the Lord. Because see, that's where we get encouragement to flee together. Hey, let's flee together these things that are destroying our lives and let's pursue together righteousness and faith and love and peace. And that's how we find encouragement with looking for people who are running in the same direction as us. And being together with those who are seeking to call upon the Lord for his help and keeping the right company, the idea is here. Assembling with God's people. That as we come together to stir up love and good deeds, that when you're together with people who are running in the same direction, it's a lot easier to run that way. If you want an illustration, next time there's a marathon, go line up against the mass and try and run the opposite direction. See how what happens. It doesn't work real well. But if you run in the same direction... Hey, there's encouragement. We're all heading towards the same goal. Hey, man, I know you're tired. Come on, I'll run with you for a while. Let's keep... And as, as you're together with those who are calling upon the Lord, it helps to call upon the Lord. There's encouragement and inspiration and accountability in that. You know, today as we look at this text together, may God help us, again, not to just spend our lives randomly, but may God help us to really, again, maybe make a personal commitment today, Lord, I want to use my life by being useful for you. Let's stand. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this portion of your word and, Lord, what it has to speak to us about and say to us. We just ask as we turn our hearts even in worship right now, Lord, I I pray that by the help and the power of your Holy Spirit that, Lord, rather than uh, thinking about where we need to go when we depart from this place, that you'd search our hearts Lord, see if there uh, be anything that perhaps we need to respond to you in regards to this morning, that we might be not just hearers, but doers of your word. And Lord, even as we're singing now, if there's something we need to reconcile with you in our heart, Lord, if if we perhaps need to dedicate ourselves to you afresh, to want to be useful for you, help us to do that. 
And Father, as always, we pray in the name of Jesus if there's anyone with us this day that has never truly given their life to you by entering into a relationship with your son, Jesus Christ, that today, Lord, they would desire to be clean from their sin, to be forgiven, to want to go to heaven, and to be able to have a life that can be useful for your purposes on this earth. You know, before we sing this final song, as we're in an attitude of prayer, let me just speak to you this morning. If you'd be with us, and perhaps you've never yet made a commitment to Jesus Christ, you've never trusted upon Him as your Savior, you've never asked Him to take over your life and be the Lord of your life. The Bible says we all sin and fall short of God's glory. We're all sinful. We're all filthy and defiled before a holy God. doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. But Jesus died on the cross for every one of your sins. He took the punishment and the pain so that you could be released. Jesus shed his holy blood to cleanse you and wash you. And Jesus rose again from the dead. He's alive today and he's with us today. The master, the Lord of the house, he's here. And he's willing to forgive you. And he's willing to take over your life if you'll let him do that but you have to believe these things are true you have to be ready and willing to repent and turn away from your sin and to believe upon Jesus to save you forgive you and to believe upon Jesus to bring you to heaven after you die today if you want that for your life Jesus can make you his vessel of honor this morning you can have a brand new start but you have to call upon the Lord You have to ask him to save you. I'm going to pray a prayer right now. If that's you, I'm going to help you by praying a prayer. You can respond to the Lord if the Spirit of God is speaking to you. He sees the faith in your heart. If you want Jesus to save you, if you want to live for Jesus Christ, then today you're ready to do that, to genuinely make your personal decision. Right where you're at, God sees you. Pray a prayer like this. Talk to God. Say, God, I'm sorry for my sins against you. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. I believe Jesus is alive from the dead. Save my soul today, Jesus. Cleanse me of all my sin. Make me a child of God. Fill me today with your spirit. I choose now to live for you. Help me to serve you and bring me to heaven when I die. And I thank you for this gift in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together and just be.